Good morning, Gracians. God is good, and God is good all the time. I want to thank Pastor Wilson for this privilege of sharing with you folks. Originally, my wife and I were planning to come in August and September of this year, but with the COVID-19, you know that everything has been thrown up into the air. Today, I'd like to share with you from Philippians chapter 3, going from here to there. You see, in many Christian circles, our focus has been on getting saved, knowing that we're on our way to heaven and how important that is. But what about discipleship? What about impacting our culture? What about touching our world for Jesus Christ? What about what God really wants to do in our lives? So there are five steps that I see right here in Philippians chapter three that I think can be of tremendous, tremendous value to you. We need, number one, to be set free from the past. To be set free from the past. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul the apostle was a self-righteous persecutor. He had become a worshiper in the Lord. In this epistle, rejoice and joy are used 16 times. He's sitting in a Roman prison, and yet there is joy in his heart. You see, he contrasted the sinful nature before Christ when things were selfish, and he even thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting the Christians. And uh, now he has found the grace of God. God's unconditional love. He's found forgiveness. He's found hope, a new purpose, something that will help him to revolutionize the world. And indeed, he helped to impact the whole Roman Empire in his lifetime. Uh, scholars tell us that by the end of the first century, one in four people in the Roman Empire had become a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle was very instrumental in impacting his world. Are Christians that impactful today? You see, the Bible teaches us that God not only redeems us from sin, he redeems us from the past, from the past hurts, from uh, mistakes, all of these things. And Paul the Apostle knew that now we are, we are all heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're sons of God. We have new hope in him. There's heaven ahead. We're winners. He said, uh, we win if we live, if we win if we die. In Philippians 1.21, he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, Paul had now become a worshiper. You see, when you look at me, you need to understand, before I am a pastor, I am a worshiper. Before I am a, an educator in seminary, I am a worshiper. Before I am a husband, a father, a grandfather, I am a worshiper. So, so much so that as my wife and I relate to each other, then we are worshiping God by the way we relate to each other. Uh, when we are leading a church or when we are preaching a sermon or when we are parenting our children or working, what we do seeks to give glory to God. Now, we're not perfect. We're all going to make all kinds of mistakes. But the beautiful thing is 
worshiper defines who I am. It is not my name, it is not my degrees, it is not my past, it is not my history. Worshiper defines me. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. In a Philippian prison, in a Roman prison, wherever he is, he is going to worship and give glory to God. Number two, conquer the present. You see, be set free from the past. Now we have to conquer the present. In Philippians 3 verse 8, he says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You know, the word Christ alone in this chapter, chapter 3, is used 10 times. For Paul, there's nothing more uh, encompassing that, that we as Christians are in Christ. Okay, and, and Christ is everything to him. Now, all of us will face challenges. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face conflicts, injustice, misunderstanding hurts. You know, if, if I were to ask you to tell me about what you have been through, every one of you will tell me a story because this is the nature of life on this earth. We will face all of those things. But Paul says, I want to know Christ. Everything else is loss that I may know Christ. You see, in order to conquer the present, you need to see what Christ is doing in the present. You need to see that he uses every situation to make us more Christ-like. In fact, we, we talk about the economy of God, how God does not waste any move, for God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so since we know that Christ not only redeems us from the past and we can rejoice, we know that we can conquer the present when we see that Christ is there in our present. He is working in our lives, molding us and shaping us to be more like Jesus Christ. So let's not waste it. Well, let's learn more about communication. Let's learn more about conflict resolution. Let's learn more about submission to God's authority, knowing that even though we don't understand what may be going on in our lives. We may be confused by so many things. Maybe it's COVID-19, maybe it's economical situations, maybe it's, it's pressure within our own families right now. I understand, I've been a pastor, and, and, and I know what you may be going through. But you see, at this time, let's not waste it all Let's build the tools so that we can be even more effective for God. Learn more about organizational structure. And, and every organization has strengths and every organization has weaknesses. So that we, when we learn how to navigate that, we learn how to be most effective for the glory of God. Because when we know Christ, we're saying, Jesus, I trust you. And I know that you're not wasting a move. You're there working on my behalf and, and, and you're going to guide me and you're never going to let me go. 
That's how we conquer the present. I have spoken to you folks many times about the 10 crucifixions I, I have been through in my life and my ministry. And I will tell you, they weren't easy to go through, but through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I knew that God was a wise God and he, he knew everything even before it happened. He knew my mistakes before I, I would commit the mistakes. So many times I've fallen before God and I said, God, why would you choose me? I, I make so many mistakes. And God will say, I am the Lord of the harvest. Don't you know, don't you know, David, that I knew all about you before you were born and I knew you would make those mistakes and yet I chose you. That's the nature of our God. We conquer the present when we know Christ is in that present in every aspect of our lives. Not a hair of our head will drop without him knowing it. Not a sparrow falls without him knowing it. Praise God, we conquer the present knowing Christ is there and we learn to trust him. Thirdly, we press on to our potential. We press on to our potential. In Philippians chapter three, verse 12, Paul the apostle says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says, okay, I worship, I rejoice because God's redeemed my sin. He's redeemed me from the past. He, he's in my present, but, but I know that God didn't call me just to bring me to heaven. He called me for a purpose and for a potential. There's a God-ordained purpose for every one of us. It's not just for pastors or uh, leaders or whoever. It is for everyone, every man, woman, teenager, child, single, married, whatever, maybe, maybe crushed through the circumstances of life. God says to you, I have a purpose for you and I am going to use you no matter how far you may have fallen, no matter how much you have struggled, if you will put your hand in my hand, I will use you. You know, when Paul wrote to the Philippian church in this epistle, he remembers that he actually was escorted out of Philippi. He faced trial after trial in Philippi. You read Acts 16, you'll see that. But even though he had to leave, he had one confidence. In Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Begin and carry on to completion are two Greek words that picture the beginning and ending of a perfect Greek sacrifice. God says, what I began in you, I'm going to continue. You see, you have a destiny. And even though sometimes you may have strayed from that destiny, he says, I'm still at work in your life. Let me mold you. Let me use you for my own glory. You know, what, what really helped me uh, is, is understanding that God has given us spiritual gifts. And in order to fulfill our potential, Paul says, I wanna press on for the purpose of what Christ called me for. 
So I have a potential, I have a destiny, and he equips me with spiritual gifts so that I can apply that. I can exercise the gifts he gives me to building my fellow believers, to building my family, to building the church of Jesus Christ, to impact others for the glory of God, to touch the world, because I uniquely have certain gifts, you uniquely have certain gifts, and we need each other in the body of Christ. And when we work together, you're going to discover throughout the New Testament, it's, it's never an I thing, it's always a we thing. We, we love one another. We bear one another's burdens. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and might and dominion. We win together. We walk together for the glory of God. And so in order to fulfill that purpose, God doesn't just say, I saved you now, good luck. I hope you can get the job done. No, no, he equips us. And then we want to begin to draw out the giftings in other people. And when we help one another to begin to minister the gifts of the Spirit, then we become a powerful, powerful church. In fact, in this generation, we're seeing more people saved. Probably in the last 30 years, more people have been saved around the world than if you counted all the way from Adam to 1990 all the way from, from the, or the death of Christ on Calvary to 1990, the number of people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. In the last 30 years, more have given their hearts to Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ marches on in spite of persecution, in spite of how human we are. So we press on for the potential that God has called us to. But there's a second press on in this chapter. In Philippians chapter three, he talks about we press on to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on. That's the second press on in this chapter. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So how do we win that heavenly prize? I, I, I have a few key points here that will help you to win that heavenly prize. Number one, get the heavenly perspective. Look at things not from down below here on earth. You can look at the cracks on the sidewalk and you think the whole world is falling apart but you look at things from the heavenly perspective and you see that God is in charge. I, I love the phrase that John Piper gives in, in his book, Desiring God, and that book saved my ministry at one point. And in that book, he, he takes the Westminster Catechism where it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He, sa he changes that and he says, no, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Ah, you see, in crisis, you enjoy the fact that God is there. In success, you rejoice in the victory of Jesus Christ. In failure, you recognize that God still loves you and God can redeem even that failure and make what seems like failure to be a success for the glory of God. So, so you learn to glorify God by enjoying 
thanking God. Paul in a Roman prison can say rejoice, and again I will say rejoice. In other words, if I die tomorrow, if Caesar cuts my head off tomorrow, I will rejoice because I am in Jesus Christ. Third, see yourself as a servant. You see, he's the Lord of the harvest. So many times I've prayed, I've said, God, God, I, I don't know. Even when I was pastoring at Grace Assembly, the highlight of my entire life, my wife and I loved you folks, and my wife loves you and prays for you every day, and uh, we we love being there. But uh, I, I sometimes prayed, and I said, God, I I don't know what how to be a number one. And God said, David, you're not number one. You're number two. Oh, what a release that was. God himself is number one, and I am only his servant. When I look at all the mistakes that I've made, I discovered, by the way, this last several months, uh, a counselor told me, David, you're a perfectionist. And, and you know, I'm so much a perfectionist, I could even talk myself into a rut. I, I can talk myself into a depression if, if I wanted to, but I don't want to. There's a good side of perfectionism, there's a bad side to perfectionism. And sometimes I come before God and I say, God, I've made so many mistakes, even when I was leading Grace Assembly. And God says, David, I knew all about that, but I still chose you. Do you see, this is the grace of God. This is the love of God. When we, we, we begin to learn like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. That's part of the heavenly view. You see it through the eyes of Christ. So then, when you go through crucifixions, and everywhere I go when I'm training pastors, I tell them, you know, crucifixion is normal in the ministry. Every pastor, every leader goes through that around the world. None of us is exempt from it. And I think for most of us as, as Christians, we go through times that we feel we're, we're being crucified. But if you have the right attitude, remember this, after every crucifixion comes resurrection. Praise God. And that resurrection leads you to greater favor with God and man. That resurrection leads you to greater power in Jesus Christ because you recognize what God can do and will do in your life. Then when you get the heavenly perspective, you want to see God's kingdom and God's righteousness uh, in the kingdoms of this world. And you want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to impact the world for Jesus Christ. You see, God's given you a job. That's a tool. That's a contact point where you can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God's given you family members and, and there you can be a contact point of the goodness of God and the kingdom of God and the way God would do things. So number four is press on to win the prize. So watch this, number one, we are worshipers. By definition, we are worshipers, that's who we are. Okay, because God redeems us from sin, he redeems us from the past, it's the wonderful goodness and grace of God. Number two, we conquer the present because Christ is in the present. Number three, we press on to our full potential so that we become what God wants us to become. 
Number four, we press on to win the prize. We want to get the heavenly view. And to get the heavenly view, you learn how to be a servant of God. But there's one more. There's one more. Number five, finish well. Finish well. I want you to look at Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Okay? But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul the Apostle says we're citizens of heaven. He's looking at the end of the race, and he basically is saying, let's finish well. Let's run the race. Let's, let's pursue the potential. Let's pursue the heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. How do we finish well? You know, one of the biggest problems is we may start off well, and then we give up along the way. Uh, in Chinese, there's a little saying, In other words, uh, we may have fire for five minutes and then we cool off. Ah. All right, in order to finish well, always keep your eyes on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, more than the signs of the times, uh, uh, who is the Antichrist and all that. No, let's rejoice. Jesus is coming soon and he's coming for you, and he's coming for me. All right, so we, we have our eyes on that goal. S secondly, we need to do effective closure. Now, this is very important. Dr. Bobby Clinton, uh, the leadership uh, professor at Fuller Theological Seminary for many years, talked about the lifelong development of a pastor and I think it's true for every one of our lives as well. He pictures uh, our lifelong development in five stages. And I can even see those stages happening in my ministry. And when I talk to pastors, I go in depth in those stages. But for example, first of all, is the stage one, even before you became a Christian, your family of origin, the ups and downs, your emotional makeup, all of those things need to uh, be developed. And he brings you up there to the, the point of salvation. Okay, your life history, BC, up to the point of coming to Jesus Christ and, and what salvation did for you. The second stage he has is that uh, you're finding your calling, your different ministries, and the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you to, to exercise. So we, we suddenly discover we have ministries, we have a new role to play. A third area is, is the training and development of all of that and maturing of, of who you are before God and before your fellow man. And then he has a fourth stage where he talks about handling conflicts. Uh, learning maybe about organizational structure because every organization is different, learning about spiritual warfare, learning about developing relationships and communication and letting God develop you to become more Christ-like. So we, we just categorize number four as conflict management. And then finally, when we go through all of those stages, his fifth stage is the stage of convergence, where we everything starts to come together. 
where all of your background, your history, your hurts, your successes, everything starts to come together for the glory of God and things begin to fly and you begin to realize the truths of the word of God and you're living by the principles of God's word and you're seeing how God makes you even more effective than ever before. Now, this is very important. You need to know we go through those different stages of ministry in our lives. And the key, though, is as we go through those stages is that we learn to do proper, effective closure at each stage. Because what Dr. Clinton shows us is that at the borderline of each stage, and of course there's overlap. Sometimes we go back and forth on, on different stages. But at the borderline of each stage is major crisis. And if we pass through that crisis, we are allowed to move to the next stage of growth and development. You see, it's, uh, it's like Monopoly. I think most of you have played Monopoly before. There is a, a chance card that if you land on a big question mark, you get the chance card. And that chance card says, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. I've played Monopoly many times, but I see so many Christians and even leaders, they pick that chance card and because they can't forgive, they can't put the past in the past, they hang on to their own failures. They can't forgive themselves. Tragedy has hit their lives at some point and they, they, they pick up that chance card and they're, they're not moving to the next level. That's why so many Christians stay at level one in their Christianity. Level one, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Ah, oh, but, but discipleship, becoming like Christ, exercising your gifts, impacting the world, well, that's, that's a big, big issue. So how do we do effective closure? Of course, living a life of integrity. Integrity gives you strength to keep on pressing on. If you're the same in, in your home as you are in public, if you're living a life to seek to glorify God, oh, you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna fall short, you'll get angry, your emotions may take hold of you at some point, but in general, what you wanna do is live a life of integrity and that will keep you going and keep you strong. And secondly, what do you do for effective closure? Don't carry baggage. Folks, my wife and I are in our 70s now. And you say, why can you love Jesus more now than you've ever loved him before? Well, it's because we don't carry baggage. And I wanna exhort you, Lay aside the baggage, take your baggage to the cross, lay it at the foot of the cross and let Jesus take care of it because Christ has been watching you. He's forgiven your past, so he's redeemed your past, you're a worshiper now, he's conquering, helping you to conquer the present, he's helping you to develop your gifts to, to impact other people. Then number three, major on majors. Don't fight the wrong battles. You know, as I look at life from my, my perspective, I, I say, wow, there's so many battles you don't need to fight. So many things change even within six months or a year's time. Fight only the battles that will give glory to God and will build the church of Jesus Christ. That is so, so important. 
when we learn how to fight the right battles, we realize, in fact, we're fighting God's battles. And when we fight God's battles, God fights for us. Now, this, this year, this May and June, I celebrated, my wife and I celebrated 50 years of marriage. Praise God for that. And then in, in the month of May, I completed 55 years of full-time ministry since I graduated from Bible college. I, I just thank God for that. But you know, when you, when you look at what, what was the key to it all? I'm thinking of the song by uh, Frank Sinatra. It's a secular song. And many of you know it. Many of you sing it my way. You know, almost every word of that song I, I fully agree with, except two words. If I had done it my way, I would have made a mess of everything. I would have chosen the wrong things. I would have reacted. I would have caused more damage than good. So I would change those two words. And the key for my ministry was I did it God's way. My prayer for you is that you will grow from salvation to effectiveness in Jesus Christ and do it God's way. May I pray for you. Father, bless this congregation that my wife and I love with all of our hearts. And we can only want great effectiveness and success. We pray for all Pastor Wilson and all the pastors and the staff of Grace Assembly and all the uh, leaders, the, uh, the Grace Group leaders and the teachers and all. God, during this time, draw us closer together to you and help us to impact our world for the glory of God. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.